Welcome back to the Durst Show. Lots of developments since the last time we talked the last week. You know, the two questions that I'm most frequently asked by people who come up to me on the street or by friends, uh, the questions are, and they're, they're related. One is, will Donald Trump be prosecuted? And the second question is, will Hunter Biden be prosecuted? Now, those are separate questions. The two have nothing to do with each other, right? Wrong. They have everything to do with each other, as I'll explain. The, the alleged crimes, if they are crimes at all, are, are unrelated. Uh, obviously, that we have in one situation allegations of mishandling of classified information, uh, perhaps an incitement to violence January 6th, um, trying to get um, Georgia people to find him votes. That's that's the Trump investigation. Hunter Biden is very different. Ukraine, uh, money, uh, trying to uh, uh, perhaps use his father's influence, all of those things. Uh, my understanding is that both cases are currently being investigated, that both Trump and Biden are what are called subjects of a criminal investigation. Neither of them at the moment, as far as we know, are targets. A target is somebody who they've essentially decided to prosecute and they're just gathering more evidence and generally targets um, know that they're targets and they're told their lawyers know about it. Um, obviously, there are some situations like obviously the Jeffrey Epstein case where they didn't want him to know about it because they wanted to lull him back into the United States where he could be arrested instead of living in, in France where he was not subject to extradition, but both of these guys are in the United States. And I think their lawyers would know if they if their status shifted from subject to target. And I don't think that has happened yet. So the two are unrelated. They have nothing to do with each other. But here is my prediction, just a prediction based on my experience. I've been doing criminal law cases for a lot, a lot of years. I don't think that Trump would be indicted unless Biden was also indicted, that is Hunter Biden. And I don't think Hunter Biden will be indicted unless Trump is indicted. Why? They have nothing to do with each other. Because we live in a political world, in a partisan world. And, you know, I don't know Merrick Garland very well. He was a student at Harvard Law School. I followed his career. I supported his nomination to the uh, Supreme Court. He was a very good judge. Um, and he's not particularly political, but I just don't think he would be able to look the American public in the face and say, I've decided to prosecute the man who may run against my boss, the president of the United States. I've decided to prosecute Donald Trump, but I've decided not to prosecute the president's son unless he can explain very clearly the difference and why uh, there is no basis for prosecuting. Uh, Biden, it would be so much easier from a political, political point of view for him to show his nonpartisanship by either indicting both of them or indicting neither of them. Um, my prediction, neither of them will be uh, indicted. It, no, it's possible. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts. And uh, all we know is what we've read in the public about the evidence. There may be smoking guns in either case, both cases or neither case. And if there is a smoking gun, a clearly uh, incriminating piece of evidence or videotape or, you know, like in the Nixon case, 
the um, erased tapes or um, some of the other um, material that made itself evident that Nixon had obstructed justice and had committed numerous impeachable uh, offenses. And of course, we know that uh, Nixon was not about to resign because the Democrats wanted him to. It was when Republican leaders came to him and said, Mr. President, we can't support you anymore. If you don't resign, we will vote to impeach and remove you. It's then when uh, President Nixon decided he had no choice. And um, he conferred with Henry Kissinger, who's somebody I've known for a long time and a man of great intelligence who I respect enormously. And Nixon made the decision to to resign. And then, of course, uh, Ford made the decision to uh, pardon him, which probably cost him the election against uh, Jimmy Carter. I think Ford was a very good president. I, my son and I had dinner with him uh, shortly after his presidency, and he was a real mensch, a real decent guy. He told me something very interesting. He said that his appointment of Justice Stevens, who was a Republican but became quite liberal on the court, um, was the most important thing he did as president other than pardoning um, President Nixon. So, you know, you never know what the dynamics are, but we live in a political world. And uh, although I don't think the president, I don't think President Biden will have any direct input on either decision, whether to prosecute Trump or to prosecute Hunter Biden, certainly not on the decision to prosecute Hunter Biden, there are other people who will have input and they will understand that this is something that the president cares deeply about. If I were President uh, Biden, I would be rooting for um, Garland not to prosecute um, uh, former President Trump. Because I think if he does prosecute former President Trump, it makes it a lot easier for him to do the courageous thing and also prosecute Hunter Biden. Um, now, you know, again, who knows what a trial would produce uh, if it were in the District of Columbia. Um, there is a very strong bias in the jury pool against uh, Trump and probably in favor of Biden. Um, maybe the case would be tried elsewhere. Of course, prosecutors get to make the decision. As the judge of the New York Court of Appeals, the former chief judge, uh, famously said prosecutors could get a grand jury to indict a ham sandwich, or my mother would approve of that, but probably even a tuna sandwich. Um, grand jurors do what prosecutors tell them to do. It's very rare that they don't. And what do you think they call a grand jury that doesn't follow the prosecutor's recommendation? They call it a runaway grand jury. They don't say that about a petty jury. Nobody's ever used the term runaway petty jury. The petty jury in Florida that decided to not impose the death penalty on Cruz, the killer who killed 17 people in cold blood, children and teachers and coaches, didn't get the death penalty because juries make up their own minds. And uh, there may have been one or two juries who didn't believe in the death penalty or others who were persuaded that Cruz had uh, a terrible upbringing and mental illness. But it tells us something about the death penalty that a man who in cold blood murders 17 people doesn't get the death penalty and somebody, a robbery goes bad and uh, goes to a mom-pop store and um, there's a struggle, the gun goes off and mom-pop are, are killed. He gets the death penalty, um, but but 17 murders doesn't get the death penalty. Something's wrong with the death penalty when, when you have that kind of 
randomness. Um, it's not completely random. Um, defendants who have good lawyers don't get the death penalty. Uh, I've never had a death penalty affirmed in, in any of my cases, uh, and neither do any of the good lawyers I work with or know. And there are racial, gender, geographic, uh, wealth components, all of them uh, factor into who gets the death penalty. And it factors into every single trial that we have. Um, you know, when you have a trial, I have a friend who was a great trial lawyer. And um, of course, he came, he was very wealthy, he went to work in a limousine and, uh, uh, you know, had his own private this and private that. But when he was about to have a jury trial, a criminal trial, he would always take the train to work for the weeks before the trial. He wanted to overhear what people were thinking and saying, because what they were saying on the subway and what they were thinking on the subway is probably what his jurors were thinking in the jury box. They're the people who decide the fate of defendants, uh, the folks who drive right on the trains and, and folks who get called for for jury duty. And so, you know, if you're a good trial lawyer, <clears throat> you have to be familiar with what people are thinking. I, uh, I remember the Mike Tyson case. Uh, where he was represented by a very elite, very high-class lawyer who just didn't didn't fit, uh, and 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 it resulted in the conviction of, in my my mind, an innocent person. Um, but um, uh, you have to be suited to the trial itself, not just a good lawyer. There is no such thing as a man for all seasons or a woman for all seasons, um, to quote the play about um, uh, Thomas More. Um, there are too many seasons these days and too many differences. And, and the same thing is going to operate in these two of the most important investigations in modern American history, a, a criminal investigation of the former president of the United States. And it's not the former part of it that's so difficult. It's the future part of it. This is a man who may very well run to become the president of the United States again, and he would run against the boss of the Justice Department the current president of the United States. And can you imagine anything more serious than indicting a person who may be the opponent of the incumbent uh, president? There was a, an article in the New York Times the other day by a former student and research assistant of mine who I have a lot of respect for, who basically says, no, no, you shouldn't indict President uh, Trump, by the way, even if he's indicted and convicted, he can still run. That doesn't uh, in any way um, diminish his qualifications for office. There are only four qualifications to run for president of the United States. You have to be over 35. I think Trump makes that. You have to been born in America, although he doesn't think Barack Obama was born in America. I don't think anybody disputes that he was uh, born in America. Uh, and, 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 and you have to uh, have, and here I'll read to you from the 14th Amendment, you have to not have engaged in insurrection or rebellion uh, or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. That was in the 14th Amendment, uh, Section five, uh, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment says, it's, it's a very badly drafted amendment. Uh, most of the Constitution, by the way, is badly drafted. Uh, but this one is particularly badly drafted. It just says um, no person shall be a senator or representative or hold any office who has engaged. That's nice. But who makes that decision? <laughs> is it is it Congress that makes that decision? No, Congress has specific 
functions that are listed in Article One. It doesn't say this is one of them. Is it uh, the Supreme Court? No, the Supreme Court has specific jurisdiction. So what happens if the Democrats vote among themselves and they say, you know, we really think Trump engaged in uh, an insurrection or rebellion? And the Republican says, no, he didn't. He just, you know, made a speech on January 6th, maybe an ill-advised speech, but he said protest patriotically and peacefully. He didn't engage in a in a rebellion or an insurrection. So we have a dispute between Democrats and Republicans. We have a dispute between Trump, who says, I didn't engage in an insurrection or rebellion, and the man or woman against whom he's running, we don't know who that will be, who says, yes, you did, yes, you did. Everywhere else in the Constitution that I can figure out, the framers told us who decides that question, but not in the 14th Amendment. So we have no idea who decides that question. You can even say maybe the voters decide that question. That doesn't seem to be the intent. It seems to be a preclusion. You are precluded from running if you engaged in an insurrection or a rebellion. Well, first of all, let's be clear. As Justice Jackson said recently in a case involving voting, you have to look at the 14th Amendment in its context. The 14th Amendment was the post-Civil War, basically, peace treaty. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it starts out by creating equal rights for anybody uh, who's an American uh, citizen. Um, uh, all persons born or naturalized in the United States, subject to its jurisdiction, are citizens. Um, no state shall make any law which shall abridge the privileges and immunities and, um, and due process, uh, life, liberty, property, equal protection of the laws. All of those are very important. And Judge Jackson, Justice Jackson said, well, that was intended to help African-Americans. That, that's the context. Um, whether or not it was written only to help African-Americans is, is very questionable. And there's a real dispute about originalism. I mean, if, if I were having an argument here with Justice Jackson, I would say, be careful about what you say about originalism. Let's assume it was written to help African-Americans. Can you imagine a single senator or congressman voting for the 14th Amendment if somebody got up and said, oh, by the way, you know, 150 years from now, the 14th Amendment will be interpreted to allow black men to marry white women. <gasps> Are you kidding? No, we would never allow that. They would never have passed the 14th Amendment. Okay, forget about marrying. Do you think there would have been a dozen votes to pass the 14th Amendment if somebody said, and by the way, 90 years from now, the Supreme Court is going to hold in Brown versus Board of Education that black children can actually go to the same school as white children. The framers of the 14th Amendment would say, God forbid, are you kidding my children going to school? Ask Abraham Lincoln. He wouldn't have allowed that. Abraham Lincoln believed in equality, but it believed in separate but equal, not uh, integrated e equality. So be careful about what you say about originalism. And so if you look at originalism, you also have to say the 14th Amendment was intended to apply to the Civil War. So when it says have engaged in insurrection or rebellion, it means the Civil War. And it means if you've been on the Confederate side of the Civil War, you can't be a senator um, because you committed essentially 
treason. You took an oath to support the United States and then you seceded. You committed treason. So, you know, if you really believe in originalism and you want to look at how the 14th Amendment was written in what context and for what purpose, and if you say it was a reaction to the Civil War, both to slavery and to the Civil War, then you have to conclude that that provision does not apply to January 6th. I, and I think it's the most absurd argument by my former student and research assistant, but it's typical. Today, there are people, and I don't accuse him of being one of them, I do accuse Lawrence Tribe of being one of them, uh, who will distort the Constitution beyond any recognition to achieve partisan ends. And I'm working on a book on that called Get Trump, how the efforts to prevent uh, Donald Trump from running for election has distorted the Constitution and, and compromised civil liberties and uh, endangered uh, America. Look, I, I, I have a constitutional right to vote against Donald Trump, and I intend to do that for the third time. But I don't want some congressman or some judge telling me I can't vote for him or against him. That's something the public should decide. It should not be decided by a group of academics or op-ed writers of the of the New York Times. So my prediction, my prediction, there'll be investigations. Um, either Trump and, and Hunter Biden will be indicted or they will both not be indicted. I find it hard to believe, though it's certainly possible, that one will be indicted and the other will not be indicted. I happen to think the case against Donald Trump, which I know a lot better than the case against Hunter Biden. So I'm not going to really opine on the Hunter Biden case. All I've seen is newspaper reports. I haven't seen the evidence, whereas in the Trump case, I've seen uh, much of the evidence. I, I don't think it crosses the line into criminality. It certainly crosses the line into good reasons for not voting for him. The January 6th speech was a disaster, but it was not a crime. It was protected by the First Amendment. And when you call people from Georgia and say, I want you to find me so and so many votes, that's subject to multiple interpretations. The most reasonable interpretation is look hard, make sure that all votes are counted. And if you can find me 10,000, 11,000 votes, boy, wouldn't, wouldn't, that be, wouldn't that be great? And as far as the classified material is concerned, that has to satisfy the Hillary Clinton standard. If she wasn't prosecuted, she was running for president. Um, can Trump be prosecuted? Uh, is the Trump situation much, much worse? I think it is worse if he is uh, found to have obstructed justice. So far, I haven't seen the evidence of that moving, moving cartons around doesn't sound like obstruction of evidence. If there was destruction of actual physical evidence, and today it's so hard to destroy evidence because everything's in the cloud, that would be uh, a different issue. Okay, so hold me to my predictions. I will apologize. If I'm wrong, let's get to some letters. I want to tell you now, though, I'm going to leave a little early today because I have to make a confession. I'm a Brooklyn Dodger fan. This is my 1947, Jackie Robinson's year, breaking into the major leagues, my 1947 Brooklyn Dodger uh, National League Championship ring, which I treasure. I was a fanatical Brooklyn Dodger fan. Of course, for that reason, I didn't like the New York Yankees because they always beat the Dodgers except in 1955. But I've mellowed and I have friends uh, in the Yankee organization and I'm going to the Yankee uh, Cleveland game tonight. Of course, I have mixed views. On the one hand, the manager of the Cleveland uh, Guardians, uh, uh, Francona, was the manager of the Red Sox who brought them their first uh, World Series. So I really like him very, very much. 
but I also like the Aggies. Who doesn't like Aaron, Aaron Judge? And who doesn't like Bader? My grandchildren went to school with Bader. They went to Horace Mann um, uh, in the Bronx. And Bader was famous at Horace Mann. He was a, a center fielder who hit 500. Uh, so I'm going to leave a little early to go to that game. And uh, I'm not going to tell you who I'm rooting for, but um, I'm hoping for a great game. Great, you know, game fives, five game series. There's nothing like that in baseball. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So I'm going to have to leave a minute early. Okay. So here are the questions that we can get to in the next few minutes. Um, Remember, we talked about um, anti-Semitism in Berkeley. So there are a few letters about that. Biden's having Jews in the cabinet doesn't mean he isn't anti-Israel. I don't think he's anti-Israel. Trump has put the capital of Israel in Jerusalem and Biden has removed it. No, he hasn't. The capital of Israel is Jerusalem. I know I'm going to be there in a couple of weeks. It's the capital of Israel. Biden has not removed it. There have been some pressures by the Ilan Omeras and and uh, others in the squad to remove it, but Biden hasn't given in. Um, uh, Israel, as well as Dershowitz, talks about how bad the Iran nuclear deal was, and Biden is attempting to reinstate it and give Iran money. Biden has done many anti-Israel things. I think he's done things that have hurt Israel, uh, but I don't think he's anti-Israel. I think he is a friend of Israel, uh, as most presidents have been. I don't think that... Um, Barack Obama was a friend of Israel. I think he pretended to be a friend of Israel. I've written about it in my book, Defending Israel, how he called me into the Oval Office to persuade me that he had Israel's back. What I didn't realize he meant was to paint a target on it and and, and aim uh, at, at the back of Israel, which he did. So I, I don't think that Barack Obama was a friend of Israel, but I think, I, I think Biden is. And then you get these kinds of letters. Uh, here's one. Hopefully soon, this Jew meaning me, will face the gallows at Gitmo for being friends with the likes of Weinstein and Epstein. Uh, You know, there really still is classic anti-Semitism in the United States, and it's not the purview of one party. Uh, Congresswoman Green has made absurd statements. You know, she said that when the fires resulted in California, it was the Rothschilds who sent the satellite to outer space and sent a beam down to California to burn down the state of California. This is a congresswoman on the Republican Party, but to their credit, the Republican Party has taken them off their committees. Um, the Democrats, on the other hand, honored some of the worst anti-Semites uh, in Congress by putting them on very good committees. Okay. The FBI's uniform crime reports, so for 2019, more than four times as many people were stabbed to death as were killed with rifles of any kind. Well, first of all, apples and oranges. Rifles are the one thing. Pistols as well. But so what? You can't take people's knives away. There are rules about size of knives, but people kill people with kitchen knives. They kill them with baseball bats. I wouldn't ban baseball bats. I wouldn't be able to go to the game tonight if they banned baseball bats. So... You know, a bunch of my letters, uh, states with high gun ownership have a slightly lower murder rate than states with low gun ownership rates. Again, utterly irrelevant statistics. You have to compare comparable states. Uh, It's not just gun ownership. It's so many other factors. But I challenge anybody to explain to me the fact that America, whose people aren't different from the people of England, the people of France, the people of Italy, the people of Germany, the people of Scandinavia, 
why do we have so many more gun deaths than any of those countries? And there's only one answer, the easy availability of guns. That doesn't mean if you took guns away or regulated them under the Second Amendment that it would solve the problem of gun crimes. It wouldn't because there are already too many guns. There are more, than, there are more guns than, than people. Well, continue to write me and continue to provoke me and continue to challenge me. And um, I'll wave to you guys from the Yankee Cleveland game. See you tomorrow.